0: It's good to see you and to welcome you to our first Sunday morning service of the new year. We're going to uh, begin our service by singing together and praising God, being still for his presence and describing him greatness. We're going to sing, first of all, Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Come bow before him now with reverence and fear. In him no sin is found, we stand on holy ground. Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Father God, great God, we are here before you now to share with you this time with you and the Lord Jesus Christ, to share our lives with you and with each other, to share the prayers of our hearts and the songs of our hearts, to share readings and thoughts and to share in remembering your Son, our brother, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to share not just this hour, but all our lives with you. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Steve is ready and poised for the announcements. Morning, one all. It's good to be here this morning, and it's lovely to be able to welcome Nigel with us this morning, here with Patricia and Gary and Alfia. It's always good to have Daniel with us as well. And if I've missed anybody, you're just as welcome. We continue to think about and pray for Rob Mills as he continues his treatment for bowel cancer. It's good to see you here this morning, Rob. Andrew is due to start his radiotherapy on the 15th of January, and we pray this will all go to plan, and we keep Andrew and Sheila in our prayers. Sylvia's brother's funeral will take place this Thursday um, at 12 o'clock at Southern Cemetery. We keep Sylvia and the family in our prayers and pray for peace and comfort in the months ahead. Andrew took some flowers to Keith and Jackie Northover for all the Bethel to show our condolences after the death of their son Stephen. They were very grateful for the flowers and for the care that was shown to Stephen. It would be good to remember our brothers and sisters caught up in conflict, particularly those in the civil war in South Sudan, many of whom are experiencing great suffering. Richard tells me that Ian was not up for coming to church this morning, but he's going to go back at lunchtime to see if Ian would like to come for lunch. Gladys, it's good to see you with us this morning. And also, Juan, glad to see that you're feeling better as well. Thank you, Giles. If you have anything you'd like to share in prayer together, please uh,
0: let me know. Okay, that's great. So um, just remain seated and we'll, we'll pray together. Father God, Lord, I'll just start by echoing exactly what Perlene has said, Lord. We're here at the start of another year, and we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the time that you give us, and as Perlene said, Lord, we pray for our eyes to be opened in every way. Eyes to be opened for the, those who are around us who are searching, searching for you. Eyes to be opened to those close to home who have needs, needs that are spoken and those that aren't. Lord, just open our eyes, Father, so that we can see you and see our Lord Jesus Christ as we walk through this year. Lord, for those who've got uh, exciting times coming We pray that you be with them and uh, give them strength to going forward. We pray for for Rue as he starts his new job and Sam as he has exams um, coming up. And for those of our family who have um, difficult times and treatments ahead, we pray as always that you will strengthen them, give them comfort. We pray for Rob and Andrew as their treatments continue. And we think of um, Sylvia and the family Um, as they mourn the loss of uh, Sylvia's brother Lord we pray that your comfort will be with them too and we have thought about brothers and sisters from around the world Lord as this world keeps on turning the conflicts still rage the wars still happen the famines, natural disasters we know that they will all be a part of this year and so From our comfort here in in Manchester, help us to do what we can to think about and pray for and support and give what we can give those who we'll never meet, um, but we know who are in your presence. (coughs) Lord, as we close this prayer, as we started, open our eyes. In this new year, in 2014, may our eyes be wide open To you and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll echo uh, some of those thoughts um, together by singing praise Lord number 16. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. Praise Lord 16. Mark is going to be encouraging us shortly, but before he speaks, I'm going to introduce what he's going to say. We're going to take a reading, which is from Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, and just running to the first verse of chapter 5. And Luke is going to read that first.
2: Ephesians, chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. For to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, And blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Thank you,
0: Luke. Uh, Mark, please come in. Coaches, thank
3: you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> this morning, I'd like us to think about our fellowship What it is that we share together as as brothers and sisters, as people who are coming and learning about Christ, coming together as a church. And more specifically, to ask the question, um, who do you think you're in fellowship with? Have a ponder in your mind. Maybe it's people here, maybe it's people elsewhere, maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them. Who are you in godly fellowship with? Is it more than one? More than 10? 1, 000? ten? A hundred? A thousand? Ten thousand? A hundred thousand? Maybe you can't put a number on it. I'd be interested to think how you change and how our thought process changes. We think about um, a few challenges I'm going to put before us this morning, which are challenges for. Practical things for us to think about this year as we work together uh, for our Lord in the church and in our everyday lives. Now the usual way that people from a Christadelphian church might, might think about this, and from other churches as well, is to think about boundaries, is to think about beliefs, to think about theology as things that we might share that might determine how we, we share Fellowship, And, you know, maybe the, the, there's some good things around thinking about that, but I don't want to talk about that this morning. I, I want to get away from technical terms and think about more practical things. Because the vast majority of biblical references that we can look at, that we can consider, that we can take to ourselves it, about fellowship in its widest form, about who we associate and how we associate with those people as we journey towards God's kingdom. Um, one example that we're going to think about in a little bit of depth later on is in James, Letter of James, where, where we're exhorted to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. As one example, that example of how we come and share fellowship together, confessing uh, sins to each other. We'll um, have a look at that. Later, and, and the reading that we had again to me w- was all about fellowship. You know? It's about keeping unity, being one together, um, speaking truthfully, all the things that we, we should be doing together, being imitators of God, thinking about how we speak to each other. Well, I want to start by reminding ourselves, of course, that our fellowship with each other is there because of one thing, and that's because of our Father. 1 John 1 verse 4 tells us, truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son Jesus Christ. So with that, everything comes from that. I've got a a list, not definitive, just to get you thinking. Practical fellowship includes partnership, bearing each other's burdens, financial support, Admonishing one another. Faith. Assembling together. Coming together. Being together. Having compassion on each other. Edifying. Building up. Putting good into each other. Being kindly affected. I like that word. Being being kind. And that's affecting you. You're being kind. Something in you makes you kind somebody else forbearing, being patient with each other, having love for each other submitting to each other confessing to each other praying with each other and teaching each other and learning from each other all areas where we share fellowship together and have fellowship together and I'm sure there's loads more that we could throw up on a board and are going through your mind now. And the ones in bold are the ones that I'm going to spend a bit of time thinking about this morning. Prayer, how we teach each other, how we learn from each other, and, and, and a bit of time thinking about um, confession. I'm going to start with prayer. Because ultimately this is, I think, the key to everything else we're going to think about. Because prayer is ultimately about fellowship, but it's about fellowship with our Father. It's a time when we come and share fellowship one-to-one, maybe with other people, with our Father. And I picked the three things to talk about this morning, because they're either things that I need to exhort myself on and build myself up on, or are things that other people have talked to me about recently. And... My prayer life is something that I always feel needs a lot more work and a lot more time putting onto it. And I know from conversations with with quite a few people at church and and outside church that I'm not a lonely person when it comes to thinking about that area. Quite often, if I feel there's just something lacking in my christian service in my my life as a christian maybe i don't feel that well connected with god the lord jesus anymore maybe i'm lacking a bit of purpose i don't feel there's a great deal of direction i think quite often it comes back to the fact that there's not a lot of prayer not a lot of real prayer not a lot of real fellowship with the father taking place If I'm the only person I'm exhorting this morning on that, then that's fine. I don't think I am. (laughs) We might think about a lack of joy, we might think about a lack of spirituality in our lives, a bit of of an empty feeling, a bit of dissatisfaction. At a certain point we realise being good, just living a good life, trying to tick the right boxes, isn't enough anymore. We have to somehow experience God in order to be truly Satisfied. And so I want to start. By just thinking about. Some practical things I've been thinking about. And reading about. And how we we do that. Because the source of everything we are. As Christians. As disciples. Has got to start with being close to God himself. To learn how to fellowship with him. It's no point thinking about. How we fellowship his children. If we can't think about how. We fellowship God first. Um, So the primary function of prayer, I I think, is about that. It's about fellowshipping with God. Enabling us to to see that that the prayer of fellowship helps us to be filled with God, with with his character, and and let let his ideals, as, as they rest in our heart, then come out of us. It changes our mind, the emotions that we have, the will that we have. And it's a prayer with God that exposes who we are, deals with the weaknesses we know we've got. God knows we've got the mistakes that we've made, the shortcomings. And so one of the things I'm going to try this year when I start praying is to not start with a shopping list. Which is possibly the way that a lot of my prayers might work. Things that I want from God. A list that I want God to achieve. Or things that I'm worried about in my life that I want God to somehow solve or help me through. Rather just coming and really trying to behold, gaze upon the Lord. To think about. God, His character, His love, waiting for, in essence, for God to, and my own mind to, to, to be together, to have some peace, to have a stillness of mind, of thought, to be thinking positively and and, and praising God. Before, naturally, then one. And I think from from experience that changes the way that one then moves into prayer and and fellowship with God. And and it becomes such a deep, quiet fellowship that we allow God to reach every part of our innermost being. That we feel more able to thoroughly confess the problems. Not the sins, other issues. that, That conscience has become more at peace. And I think importantly for myself, is that that fellowship isn't enough just to happen when I snatch five minutes on a Sunday morning, or when I've got five minutes in a car once a week, that actually it needs to be a regular thing, that it needs to be somehow part of everyday life. That, to have some daily devotional time in fellowship with God. And, and, you know, we, we, we think about in scripture that, you know, we're, in essence, we're, we're always in fellowship with God. God's always with us. We're always there. God's always with us. But having those special times set apart where we just draw near ourselves to him and that we know in our mind we need that special time. And it's a commitment that we make to God that we will spend that time with him in fellowship with him. And there are practical things that I think about. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about Bible class this week. You know, where the, there's no need to hurry prayer. And, and I know from my own experience that, that can be the thing. I, I need to pray to God. I need to pray to God about well, I'm going out to my car this week. The kids are ill. This is happening. That's worrying me. These people have got problems. I'm thinking about them. And, and, and I, think, I've, I think I've drawn close to God. I think I've prayed. Whereas in reality that it might have been a prayer, but it wasn't drawing close to God. So the need not to hurry and being aware that, you know, I, I'm easily distracted. I'm quite happy to jump onto the next thing that just catches my eye. So, so being in a quiet place helps me to try and leave beside, behind disturbances, things that I could easily be distracted with. Now, I think I'm sure that praying to fellowship with God is something that we'll always be learning for all of our lives. And we'll continue to need practice uh, to spend adequate time with the Lord, to, to, to learn the lessons of fellowship with Him. And I think when we do that, that begins to change the people that we are, the way that we think about. Things and the way then that we come to have fellowship with each other. Now, as we lead into the next thought, you know, possibly you've learnt lessons about prayer, possibly you've been on the journey that Mark is going on, that other people are going on. You've been there, you've failed, you've learnt lessons, you've failed, you've learnt lessons, you've moved on, you've learnt lessons, you've failed. And and you've, you've been through these journeys and there are things that you could teach me, you could teach others. There are things I can learn from you, from your experiences that could help me as I seek to fellowship with God. And as we do that, we then share fellowship and build each other up and teach and learn and draw closer to each other as we seek to help each other have fellowship with the Father. So that I just want to spend a couple of minutes thinking about our teaching and learning and, and we're just going to go to Acts two and have a look at have a look at that. So it's Acts chapter two. And this is Peter's speech <coughs> in in Acts uh, and, and now three thousand people have, have just been baptised after Peter's speech and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and 3,000 people had just been moved by Peter's address and they continued not only in direct fellowship and in prayer but but in the apostles teaching so they've been baptised, you know, as, as Jews, perhaps they already have much of the gospel, the hope of Israel, the promise of Messiah. They, they've got a set of moral principles, but that wasn't enough. They knew that wasn't enough. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to come and draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so in company with others, their fellow believers, they, they wanted to learn and latch on to the words of Jesus and the instruction of the apostles. And, and again, this is a real personal thing for me, because it, it's a real point of continued angst. Every new year, Elena and I sit down and say, right, we need to do more Bible stuff together, don't we? We're really rubbish at making time to just, even if it was 10 minutes, just read a verse together and think about a verse. If it was once a week, that would be fantastic. <laughs> you know, it should be every day. And we go through ebbs and flows, mainly ebbs, it's fair to say, But <laughs> we realise we, we, we're not doing enough. We're not being together in fellowship with each other, never mind together in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Then it was that, that point last year, I said, right, Bible class 2013, Mark, you're going to get there once a month. That's a commitment. You can do that. And and I probably came five times in the year, and and that was part of my thing of coming together to teach, to learn, to share fellowship. Apart from the the, the, the attempts that Elaine and I would make to be together, the importance of coming together to share fellowship, to teach, to learn. Whether it's Bible class, whether it's at home, whether it's with another brother and sister in their home. Being together, sharing fellowship, building each other up, edifying, teaching, learning. You know, those who work together to produce, I know, thoughts for Tuesday Club, Friday Club, Bible reading group. When you're working together with brothers and sisters and teaching, and those who are learning, one gets so much more satisfaction sharing that fellowship together of learning together of, of teaching it is a wonderful experience. It richly enhances the fellowship that we share together, the relationships that we have with each other and so it 's good that if we remember as we read in Ephesians that we 're all one body, all, all parts having their own gifts everybody's got a, you know, something they feel is their role their responsibility so who within the church are you learning from who, who is it that you've got fellowship with in the church that you're learning from more than one ten people who would you go to if you got a question that you just sat there and thought, I don't, read that this week, I don't know what that means we've sat and thought about it together I don't know, who am I going to ask do you do that is that something that would strike you naturally to do? Other you know, people, you know, that we thought about formally in the past as a church, people who've been baptised, you know, we would try and, we would give them teaching before they got baptised, but not, but not after. Are there people that actually would need a one-to-one? Help somebody that you know, you may be that person who feels, actually, I'd love somebody to spend some time with me with my Bible. <coughs> and teach, I'd love to learn more about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church, how are we passing on our knowledge, our faith, our wisdom, the skills that we've got in teaching, the skills that we've got in, 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 in instruction and, and, and learning? So who do you spend time with in fellowship? Learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father. Who are you in fellowship with when it comes to teaching and learning? And go back to your initial thoughts about how many people are you actually in fellowship with? And there's a broad technical term. How many people are you actually in real, godly fellowship with? Let's have a look at James, chapter 5. we We're going to think about confession now for a, a few moments. Now, somebody got me thinking about this passage recently. We had a lovely conversation about what this passage means. Um, and that set me off thinking, so I put a few thoughts together about that this morning. Um, because I didn't know what it meant. So we, I thought it might be useful to, to share some of that. Because it's, it's obviously a key part of our life together in, uh, as Christians as disciples of the Lord so let's just read James chapter 5 I'm going to start verse 13 is any of you in trouble he should pray is anyone happy let him sing songs of praise is any of you sick he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith you mean the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise him up If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a just man like us. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So this, this part of sharing fellowship together by confessing our sins, confessing our faults to each other. You know, It's not a one-off New Testament teaching. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And and later on in the New Testament, in 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Now, as the the broad Christian world around us, has, has generally two ways I see of that happening. there's the occasional appearance in public of a Christian leader who's been caught doing something they shouldn't and seeking a public confession and and public apology and and secondly I guess the the Catholic priest system of of the dogma of the Catholic Church of of people going to confess sins to the priest who can forgive them uh, and, and usually have some sort of penance involved with that now I don't think those Ideas have have great roots in the New Testament. But I think confession of sins to each other and our faults is closely related to fellowship. Our fellowship together. Not just with God, who we need to confess our faults and sins to, but within the church. Paul directs us to, to bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, there's actually fulfillment of, of the things that Jesus came to achieve by, by confessing our sins and bearing those together. You know, in quiet dialogue between one, two members of the, of the ecclesia, we're having total confidence that, that the things that we talk about won't be revealed, Faults, burdens are shared, the law of Christ is fulfilled. As I say, isn't there? A burden shared is a burden halved. Oh, yeah, thank you. Good. I wrote that down and thought, well, I miss Nancy. I know Nancy would. Okay. I don't know whether everybody's still going to be awake when I get to this part of meditation. It might just go quiet. <laughs> but that's not the case for a Christian, is it? A burden shared is a burden gone. He is faithful, Christ is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. You know, when we share our burdens, when we share our faults, our sins, they are gone. This type of dialogue should be part and parcel of our fellowship. Who better to trust than somebody who shares your hope, your faith, love, your The forgiveness that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all the more sad within our church. If we can't trust anyone. And I've gone through phases of that. Who is there that I could trust? At different points of having different strengths and weaknesses. In relationships within members or the church. Good times and bad times. Is that a reflection on me? The individual? Is it a reflection on The church, how are we building relationships? How do we have fellowship together with each other? Because if we're a church of liars, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. My life's fine. I'm not struggling with any sins or faults. No, you won't catch me doing anything wrong. I'm perfect. John tells us if we're deceiving ourselves, The truth is not in us. If we're a church that is deceiving each other. That there is nothing wrong with me. Is the truth really alive. Within us. How are we sharing fellowship. Who are you in fellowship with. Really. When it comes to sharing and confessing your faults. And your sins go back to your original list an innumerable number of people 10,000, 10, 1 who are we in fellowship with together how can we improve that during the year but I want to spend a few minutes just thinking about this passage because th- there's a few things that struck me that don't always seem true I remember reading this verse after um, Elaine's father died and thinking, I, I, don't, I don't, don't believe this verse.
4: The
3: <coughs> prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And we all know it doesn't. Because we've all lost people we love. So, so what does that mean? Is it that that isn't right? Or does it mean something that something different to what we might think it does on a superficial reading. Because it's either about physical healing or it's about spiritual healing, I think. And and it comes down to, I think, what the word sick means in verses 14 and verse 15. Is anyone sick among you, it says in verse 14. Now, that word means to be weary, to, to be feeble, to be without strength, without power. And it's used once of, um, uh, of somebody who is sick. So in Matthew 8, Jesus comes to Peter's house. He saw his mother in law lying sick in her bed with a fever. So she's poorly. And it's also used in 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul says, Take care the liberty that you've got, this liberty, this freedom, this spiritual freedom you've got in Christ, doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. So it's a spiritual thing. And in verse 15, we get the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick. And the word sick there means to be to weary as from labour, to be weary in mind. And it's only used one other time in the New Testament, in Hebrews 12. For consider him who has endured such hostility of sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it's about spiritual sickness. That's my conclusion. The way that word is used is about spiritual things. Because this whole passage there is about spiritual things, spiritual illness. The problems in Elijah's day were were about spiritual issues. Verses 19 and 20. It's about bringing people back to God. It seems rather odd in my mind for for James to shift from... um, Physical to spiritual. I think this is all about a spiritual sickness. And I think that's what ties us back in again with fellowship, confession, spiritual weariness, spiritual feebleness. Feeling, when, when we all do at times, that faith is slipping, that we've got questions, we've got doubts. Who are we turning to? There's that lovely confidence then that actually coming together, having that fellowship that comes from the Father, having that fellowship together, building each other up, having that closeness of a relationship which says we can confess, we can be together as one. That we can restore each other spiritually. That we can be together, that we can have that true godly fellowship together. So, the question again just thinking about now this church here in Old Trafford. Not for any particular reasons, just I think there's a good example I want to, to bring. Just think about this church here in Old Trafford. There are some examples of biblical fellowship. I've gone through two or three in a bit of detail. How many people at church do you think you're really in full godly fellowship with? Everyone? Most? Ten? Five? A small number might be enough when times are good. But we know, as a church, we... If we aren't praying together, if we aren't confessing, if we aren't admonishing, if we aren't partnering one another, it's going to be really difficult to grow together, to be together, to have fellowship together. But what about when times are bad? What about when ill health strikes? What if those one or two people are taken for whatever reason, leave the church, fall asleep? The need for a spiritual family to be, to be kindly affectionate, to love, to pray, to support are key, obviously, for us. But what about when spiritual difficulties arise? Because they will, just because you know we've all been plodding along quite happily for a number of years and there haven't been any major issues for us to worry about or think about. The next problem might just be round the corner, to test our fellowship, the strength of our bonds, our love how we care for each other, how we're able to pray together, how we're able to confess together, how we share fellowship together and and the strength and the quality of that fellowship that we have together to to love, to forbear one another's weaknesses. Because we know what they are. Because people have talked to us about their weaknesses. To submit to one another. So I've got a test. Draw in your mind that this is definitely the safest place to do this test <laughs> draw in your mind a list of the people you think you're in true fellowship with. And then the test and then you sort of go down and then the people that you think oh, I'm not really in um, there's there's an anonymous one done by somebody. So other people and then that's, my, that's, that's, the, that's the order of that anonymous person's list. <laughs> the test is to turn it on its head. In 2014. Turn the list that you've got in your mind, the person that you speak to every Sunday morning, the person that you'll automatically go to, the person that you've got to do this, that and the other with, the person that you definitely are in fellowship with, you, you will and have love with and partner and teach and pray with and, and confess. Great. How are you? It might not be that for everybody on the list you could do all those aspects. There might be a challenge there for us all, but we should be able to share some or all of those with everybody. And that's the test for 2014. That's my challenge to myself: How do I do more of those things with more of the people at church that maybe I haven't before or have found difficult to do that with before and I put it to you if we all make that effort during this year if our Lord remains away and we read in um, Acts 2 the people were filled with awe they weren't filled with awe because of the miracles that came after that bit the people were filled with awe because they were in fellowship together If we can do this. Begin to do this. We make the church an awe inspiring place. To be. Because it begins to change our lives. It begins to change more the church. That we can seek the glories more. Of true fellowship. With the father. Which instills and goes through. All our relationships. Within the church. And we remember now. The fellowship we've got. With the Father by grace as we share bread and wine together.
0: Thank you very much, Mark. That was uh, very thought provoking and given us lots to think about and to do. <clears throat> as Mark said at the beginning, um, everything that uh, he talks about in terms of fellowship between ourselves starts with our fellowship with God and Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, this is a focal point as we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. We're going to uh, sing together. Lord Jesus Christ, our living head, our saviour risen from the dead, we show thy death in breaking bread and seek for fellowship with thee. So we're going to bind ourselves in fellowship with this bread and this wine and John Fay is going to offer our
4: thanks to the bread. Mighty God, we give thank you give thanks now for this bread, and we say thank you for our brother Mark this morning. I confess now that I am a a cracked and flawed character. But then again, so were the Lord Jesus Christ's disciples, that's why you picked them. I can be an angry man. I was angry yesterday. But then so was Paul, our brother Paul. Even after he had had the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ on that road. On behalf of my brothers and sisters here in this room, I give a prayer of thanks for this bread And I do it willingly and thankfully. The symbol of this bread is such a marvellous thing. I have been taught by brothers and sisters. I'm smiling now because I remember them. Two old sisters back in Liverpool who I learned so much from in Bible class. Makes me smile so much to remember them now. I learned so much from them their honesty, their purity of thought, the purity of their love for you. And what can I teach my brothers and sisters now in this prayer? I can teach them one little thing, and that is there is more justice, there is more. Honesty. There is more truth in this bread than anything that we will hear in 2014. From anything we will hear from David Cameron, Vladimir Putin, Barack Obama, any politician, any commentator, any journalist. More truth in this piece of bread. That will give us a remembrance of your dear Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because here is truth vast as the ocean. Here is loving kindness as the flood. Here is justice. Here is honesty. Mighty God. Living God. We thank you for it now. In his name, our brother, our friend, our saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: As we sang and as John prayed, we take this bread with thankfulness, knowing that our Lord Jesus has bound us together in his one body. Malcolm is going to offer our thanks to the wine.
5: Dear Lord, you know exactly what we are like. You know how we forget things, how we we don't remember, Lord, as we get older, we forget why we 've gone to the top of the stairs, and so knowing that you provided a way that we could remember in this bread and this wine that we could remember how special you are what a special fellowship we have with you and with one another what love what hope we share with one another what peace we share with one another all because of you Lord because you gave your life willingly for each one of us Lord we remember that now we pray that we won't forget what special fellowship we have with you and with one another in this year and in every year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: we thought of uh, many things this morning which will help us in 2014. But not, I suggest, if they stay on a PowerPoint slide. Just a short extract from our New Testament reading today, which is Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We're going to close in prayer uh, through Richard after he's sung number 132. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you,
6: there is no greater thing. Father God, help us to be more like you. Father, whether we can only resolve to change for the rest of this day, this week, this month, this new year that you've given us. Help us to be more like you. Father, if we can add to our list just one more person to find fellowship with or a whole church Help us to be more like you. Father, if we can find one person, one thing that we can confess and change or a whole lifetime's worth of guilt and shame, help us to be more like you. And Father, send us Jesus, send your kingdom, where we will be much more like you. Amen.